So on display today we've got the 28 hour, 28 hour sourdough. Uh, we've got the seeded sourdough which has got five different seeds on the outside and throughout the sourdough. Uh, we've got a honey and sesame sourdough as well which is a personal favourite. And then we've got 100% rye that's also covered in a mix of seeds. It's 8.30am and I'm in Holland, in New Islington, the incredibly popular bakery and cafe renowned for its sourdough loaves and that really represents how much this area has changed in the past 20 years. This is the Manchester Wheatley from the Mail. Hello there, welcome to this week's episode of the Manchester Weekly from the Mill with me, Daryl Morris, and the Mill's Yoshi Herman back in the comfort of the Mill newsroom. Hello, my friend. Hey, how are you doing? Uh, I'm very well, thank you. I'm really, really well. Uh, how are you, more to the point? It's been a heck of a couple of days for you. <laughs> yeah, it has, actually. That that piece I wrote on the weekend, I, I, I thought it might be interesting and you know, I thought thought people might might enjoy it, the one about New Islington and, and Ancoats, but it's... It's had a massive reaction, tons of tweets and emails and messages and, and all sorts. So yeah, it's been quite been quite interesting. Interaction is king, my friend. Interaction is king. Don't worry about it. Um, own it. Lean into it. Um, so we'll talk about that in a sec. We'll, we'll get into the premise of the point that you were making in that article and, and what the kind of feedback has, has been, this big debate that's been sparked around a really interesting subject matter. Uh, you've also, in the Mill Newsroom, uh, got a, a, a new-ish member uh, somebody who's going to be talking a lot about data is going to be sort of digging into some of the numbers that make up Greater Manchester. And we've got some really interesting insights into uh, the census data that tell us about tell us who we are, really. Right. And and, and sort of like where and where we live. Uh, so we'll get into that. Um, also, an interesting development from Factory International for us to consider as well. This episode. Firstly, let's start there then. And um, and and I mean, I mean. Yoshi, do you want to take us into the article that you wrote, your your weekend read this last weekend, that considered the sort of changing nature of New Islington by the city centre and the point that you were making, I guess? Yeah, I think the piece was really about the changing nature of Manchester as well, about the, the, the kind of people who are moving to Manchester and the way in which the city has built new neighbourhoods like New Islington and how well those new neighbourhoods mesh with the existing neighbourhoods, existing communities around them. It started, this piece, ages ago, actually. I mean, we're in January 2023, and I think I first started kind of wondering about this and, and talking to people about it in the summer of 2021, so, you know, a year and a half ago sort of thing. And it was, it was I think it was a Sunday evening, and I was walking around um, Old Mill Street, which is kind of a street that leads out of the back of New Islington um, into Miles Platting, up towards um, Phillips Park Cemetery, towards the kind of Etihad area, up, uh, you know, kind of parallel, at least for a while, with the um, with the canal, the Ashton Canal. And, you know, I, as you know, you know, we've spoken about this before, but one of my things is sometimes just if I've got a bit of free time, I will go just chatting to people in different areas that I find interesting because we try to get some of our journalism on the mill from these kind of unofficial avenues, not from press releases and not from the news agenda or whatever Andy Burnham's talking about, from, but just from encounters that we have with people. Um, and then you kind of, if you find it interesting, you might go and speak to them again and you might look into what they've said. You might ask the council, you you know, in in this instance, I spoke to a couple of people, then I spoke to a few more people, and then I 
you know, you, you build up a picture of whether the person you're speaking to is, is representative or, or whether they're a bit of an anomaly, that kind of thing. And I got speaking to a few people who live on Old Mill Street and, and, and a few of the roads around it. And they really identify as people of the old Ancoats. Like they call themselves the originals, the people who've lived in Ancoats forever. I think technically some of them actually live in Miles Platting or on the edge of Miles Platting. They certainly live on the edge of New Islington. Um, and there's this divide that I've always felt was there when you walk around between the very modern uh, development of New Islington, which is mainly flats, it's mainly people who rent, um, it's mainly younger people, uh, largely people who do professional jobs. Um, I think um, it wouldn't be an outrageous assumption to think that a lot of the people who live in New Islington um, have got university degrees. Um, and they sort of represent the new Mancunians, the thousands of new people who've arrived in, and particularly living in the city centre in the past decade. And the older, um, t- the, the older Ancoats residents, or I, and I don't mean older in terms of age, I mean people who, who, who've been in this area before New Islington arose, um, they, they're, they're largely a slightly different profile, um, work slightly different jobs. Um, would 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 tend to describe themselves as, as working class, and the people who I spoke to, the, the theme that kept on coming up when I spoke to them, was this idea that they felt a little bit like they were unwelcome in New Islington, like the new flats that had been built had brought in a community of people who were not really mixing with them. One of the people I spoke to on Old Mill Street said, you know, described them as studenty types that look down their nose on us. And, 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 and you know, she said, you know, we've built, been here all our lives. They talked about messages in Facebook groups or comments in Facebook groups about the Ancoats riffraff, you know, on the, on the marina, Anco, um, losing to marina, spoiling it all. Um, Louisa, uh, who's a, a woman I spoke to, who, who's a young, young child, young daughter. Um, I think I spoke to her in, you know, more than three or four hours in total, probably over, over a couple of years. And she she talked about, you know, we feeling like she's the outsider now. She grew up in on on the on the card room estate, which was the estate that was really run down and that that was basically on the same piece of land that New Islington is on now. And and and, and what I think those people are talking about is not that they thought the card room estate should never have been moved or that New Islington should never have been built. That wasn't really how they articulated it to me. It was more that the feeling that they had now that they are um, outsiders, that there's this new group of people who they don't feel really mix with them. And it created what I feel like is a fault line, a bit of a fault line between two communities. And it, it for me, raised a lot of questions about what the city could do better to uh, make these communities cohere or what we as people who live in the city centre could do to make um, some of these lines a little bit softer between communities. And um, okay, okay, could you just give us a bit of a sense of why you think that fault line exists? Yeah, <laughs> it's a good question because it, it, it's it's definitely the case that I fe- felt it, and I spoke to people in the older kind of Ancoats community who talk about it a lot, and. I've spoken to people who in, live in New Islington and, and, and who felt it. One guy told me, like, I lived in Ancoats in a mill and I saw New Islington, you know, popping up around me. And I felt guilty that there wasn't more cohesion between the two communities, that there wasn't um, more interaction. 
Um, but there are definitely people who don't think it's so much of a fault line or, or, or who maybe think that's an exaggerated concept. I've seen plenty of reactions online that, that, that were saying that or were saying, you know, have you slightly simplified that or whatever. The reason I think it is there is because when you walk along Old Mill Street and you cross Weybridge Road um, and you're out of New Islington, I know there are still some flats along the, on, on the canal, but you're basically out of the, 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 the main bit of the redeveloped area. I just think you can really feel it. I think you can really feel that on the one side, you've got um, amenities that are very specifically created for the new Mancunians who've moved in. Um, You're talking about, you know, pollen bakery with its, you know, amazing sort of coffee and sourdough bread and um, people who are, you know, in their 30s and 40s, um, the kind of people who I described before. Um, who who have little dogs and and they live you know a particular lifestyle, and then when you cross over, you've got people who live in a, in a very different way, and I've always just wondered like what is the level of interaction? And the more I looked into it, the more I thought there there just isn't that much interaction, and there aren't that many amenities on the other side of the line. Like there aren't that many cafes or or, or pubs anymore or social centres, and and that's why I thought it was. It was a it was a bit of a fault line, and that's why I strongly believe it is, and that's why I thought it was worth sort of doing a bit more reporting on. Okay, I've been grappling with this as as I has uh, the rest of Greater Manchester. It seems, given the amount of comments that this article has has garnered and, yeah, <laughs> and the amount yeah. of sort of debate that it's stirred, which is really interesting. We'll get into some of that in a minute. I live so I live in I live in Monton, right? As mm. as you know, as I mentioned a lot on this podcast. So, and, and, and Monton is probably, a, you know, you say this being kind of representative of something that's going on around Greater Manchester, and it certainly is. Monton is definitely one of those places, somewhere that probably, you know, a decade ago, a little more than a decade ago, uh, was notoriously, uh, you know, had notoriously high crime, uh, you know, was, 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 was somewhere that you would kind of, I don't know, you would sort of describe it as perhaps, uh, you know, being, being pr- a pretty rundown area pretty rundown part of greater manchester you know now the high street even since i've been here is full of uh, new shops and new cafes and um those the the the, the types of cafe that you would find in in ancoats a couple of new restaurants as well but there is definitely a fault line there is a fault line between um i guess quite a lot of media city type people who live here because it's quite close to media city which is yeah. probably probably me right although <laughs> well, i'm not <laughs> you you worked two days a week in media city so it has yeah. to be yeah, I do, and I do, I do. Although I, I, I always resist that because, because I am a, I didn't go to university. I'm, I'm not a university educated. I'm a working class, uh, a working class lad from Bolton, right? I yeah. sort of like so, I, so I do rile against it slightly. Although I also do work for the Times as well. So it's sort of but, like but actually, you know, what you've just said that actually points to an interesting thing, which is that some of the criticism of my piece was saying you flattened the New Islington people too much. Actually. You know, I saw a few people think saying online, "Well, actually, I I live in New Islington, but I grew up in a working class area, and like I don't have you know loads and loads of money, and you know I I think you've sort of um, you haven't given enough voice to the variety of people who live in New Islington. Isn't that kind of what you're saying about your area too, and how you wouldn't want to be typecast? Yeah, and I think you know the, the, what I, what I like about Monton as well. The reason I live in Monton as a as a as a working class lad from Bolton who ha- frankly has a you know who has a, you know has made a who's a successful media career and does a couple of days a week in London and is without question you know has has sort of m- m- perhaps you know become middle class is that is that I like the fact that it's that, that it's got some earthiness to it, but there is a fault line 
down mm. Monton Road. Because mm. if you, because I would never drink in the park, for example, right? You know, there is a certain type of clientele that goes to the park and there mm. is a certain type of clientele that goes to Playfoot's Cafe Bar, you know, right. and I would always go to Play, Playfoot's Cafe Bar. So you right. can see it represented on, on, on Monton Road, that fault line. Um, yeah. I, 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 but, but, but what I've been grappling with is the fact that I don't feel, you know, I feel like I am, a, I am one of those New Islington type people, but I also feel resistant to that characterization because of my working class background and i think there's quite a lot of people as you point out there yoshi you probably feel that way anyway coming to the coming to the reaction that it's had hmm. this point what what of what of i mean you've you've been publishing uh you know each each kind of a, a new edition of the mill seems to have new comments about this article there's been a real broad range of opinion about it hasn't there what have people been saying yeah so it was interesting because in the first i think on the, on the day it was published on sunday there were loads and loads of really positive reactions. I think my tweet about it got like 450 likes on Twitter or something, which is, you know, pretty, for, for, for a story that I've written on the mill, that's really, really high. And dozens of comments under the article. And, and there were lots that were saying, I've really felt this too, or I felt this in my area, or I think this is a thing that the city could be doing better. Um, there were tweets there were tweets from people saying like, this is the best article I've seen about this particular form of gentrification. There was a huge amount of positivity, but there were also people who were saying, I think this piece was, was shallow in the way it treated the New Islington people. It really went into depth on the, on the, on the people who have got a problem with New Islington, but it didn't go into depth with the people who live in New Islington. I think that's a completely fair criticism. I even published one of those um, comments in, in, in Tuesday's members-only edition because I think it's a, it's a decent criticism. There were other people who said, look, New Islington didn't just arrive in one stroke. It, it grew over 20 years, um, and you've kind of exaggerated the extent to which it came in sort of one go, which I think that's also fair. Um, I think there are also people, definitely, who felt that my characterization of the families who, who describe themselves as original Ancoats, real Ancoats, that, that maybe the people I spoke to weren't super representative and that this is a classic journalistic um, uh, trap, right? That we speak to a bunch of people, let's say a handful in this case. I think I quoted four by name and there were a couple others who I, who I spoke to from that community who, who I didn't quote by name. And they felt strongly about this, right? And, and 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 two of them were known to each other on one side, and two and two of them were sisters. But the, but the the, the, the in in total, um, you're talking about six people, um, and you know several of whom weren't known to each other, as it were. But obviously, you don't know how representative they are. And I did say in the piece, like clearly, not everyone feels like this. I even spoke to a few other people from that community who didn't feel like this, who who didn't feel strongly about it. And I, I did say that in the piece, but I think. Some people didn't read that bit, or, or at least like they, they felt the emphasis of the piece was listening to people who feel really strongly or really they're really pissed off about the the newcomers in New Islington, but maybe not considering that they they aren't representative. I think that's totally fair. I mean, look, if 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 I had more time or you know maybe more resources, maybe I would have spoken to thirty people. Maybe that maybe that's really how you need to do it. But there's a bit of a sort of resources constraint here. I think that um, those are all really fair criticisms, which is why when we get stuff like that, we always publish it in the mill so people, there's a proper debate. But I think the reason it struck such a cause and the reason it's become one of our most popular stories ever, the reason we've had literally dozens of emails about it, you know, people who I really like and respect from across the city saying, oh, I really love that piece, is I think it touches on something really important, which is that 
there is a an issue around gentrification that isn't just the usual argument about phys- physically displacing communities, you know, areas becoming posher, people not being able to afford their rent anymore, getting pushed out. Clearly that does happen in Manchester. But Manchester has been lucky that it had so much undeveloped land, previously unoccupied land in the city centre. Almost no one lived in the city centre. So you can actually put loads and loads and loads and loads of new housing in the city centre without replacing housing that was already there or without pushing out people who are immediately adjacent. I think the more subtle thing that this piece was getting at, and I think the reason it it had a strong reaction, was a, a more subtle thing about how people feel that how people feel in the places they live when newcomers turn up who are not like them, who speak differently, who have different types of jobs and different types of priorities, different types of patterns, for whom different types of amenities pop up, different types of cafes, more expensive coffee shops, more expensive bakeries, etc., etc. And whether the city and whether we, you know, everyone lives in the city, are, are giving enough thought to how to knit together different communities because Manchester's growing so fast, it's changing so fast. I think it should be a a big talking point. How do you do a better job of not just building new neighbourhoods and building new housing for for the newcomers and but also thinking about how does it make other people feel, people whose families have been here for ages? How are they going to feel about newcomers? How could we soften those feelings? How could we soften those boundaries? That's kind of... Um, the issue that I try to get into. I think it's, um, I think it's an important um, thing to get into because I think that's the type of issue around gentrification that, that we see a lot in across um, you know, Greater Manchester, in particular around the centres of Manchester and Salford, around Media City, around lots of areas that are changing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think um, it would be great if this article sparked a little bit more consciousness about that at the council, at the developers, at, you know, among our readers, among the people who, um, among the people who make the decisions as well. I mean, I've had I've had emails off, you know, senior people in you know development companies and senior people in housing associations, and and I know it's been read by you know people at the councils and stuff. So, um, you know, I, hopefully it hopefully it kicks off a bit of thinking. I'm not saying I've got all the answers. Obviously, I'm not saying that um, I'm not saying it's even possible to. To, 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 to completely transform this kind of problem. But I think it deserves more thought than it's currently getting. Yeah, okay. Okay, so let me ask you, let me ask you this very directly then, Yoshi. Is Ancoats really at war? Yeah, I mean, so this is a quote that I got from from one of the sources who I, who I named in the story. And she said there's a real Facebook war going on between the new residents in New Islington and, and, the, and the old school Ancoats people. And, you know, war is obviously a, a really provocative term for, for, for what's going on. I don't think it is at war. Like, I think, as some commenters have said, like, you should never take what's happening in Facebook groups um, as, as, as being truly representative of, of what's going on. It's, it's a reflection of what's going on, but there's, it's, I think it, you get an exaggerated version of, 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 of rows and of disputes in Facebook groups. I don't think there's a war going on. And I think some of the issues between these these two communities um, will soften as, as time goes on, you know, as, 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 as people live alongside each other for longer. There's not a war, but I think there's a division. And I think there's a, it's an unhealthy division because what happens when you don't have, you have two communities living next to each other, not really interacting, is I think um, 
in the kind of vacuum, people come up with slightly dark theories or they speculate about what other people think of them or they think um, people are having secret meetings about them or we're not being included in this, we're not being included in that. I think that's really unhealthy. And I think people can quite easily think there's a war going on or they can think that people really don't like them or they're looking down at their noses at them when probably a lot of the time they're not. Like probably a lot of the time they're people in New Islington have got no issue at all with the people who live a couple of streets down the road or they've got a friend who lives down there or or that you know they they grew up in a similar kind of neighborhood and and and, and whatever so I think with a little bit more shared amenity with with some more community resources that were shared between the two there'd be things would be a lot better but um no it's not a, it's not a war but I think it's a, it's an issue worth um thinking about Okay, and and also I think I, I was very keen to I was very uh, uh, interested in the point that you made about Facebook and about the way that these kind of interactions are happening because those are those are you know full of construct of sort of constructed conflict aren't they uh, those platforms that really encourage people to to see the worst in each other and and to find division where yeah, there isn't division. But to, but to- Particularly because the, the the most engaged posts go to the top of the group, mm. right? You don't see yeah. everything in the group normally. You're just flicking through on your feed. You see a, f- a few posts from each group that you're in. And they'll tend to be the ones with loads and loads of engagements. And mm. those will tend to be the ones that have caused an argument. Whereas lots of, you know, uh, nice neighborhood stuff where people are just chatting, away, oh, that's useful. Thanks very much for the recommendation about the plumber or whatever. Mm. You know, that stuff <laughs> doesn't get so much um, airtime in your feed to mix mm. metaphors. So, um, yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right about that dynamic. Um, okay, really brilliant piece, really worth reading, which is free to read, isn't it, Yoshi, I believe? Is that right? It's all free. The comments are free. The piece is free. And if you <laughs> want to read a little bit more in depth, you know, about some of the responses and stuff, you can become a member and read what we put in on Tuesday. Would highly recommend. ManchesterMill.co.uk is where you go to do that. Um, you can also find there some really interesting insight, Yoshi, into some census data. You have got a kind of a new member of the of the Mill team, haven't you, who's going to be tasked with trawling through data and and, and finding out what it tells us. Yeah, a really interesting um, guy called James Gilmore. He's an urban analyst as a as a job, um, as a, as his day job. But he's going to be writing the odd bit of data stuff for us. And he made some graphs based on new data out from the census. And it was just re- it was just cool to see how he mapped out different um, different trends. So one of the ones that really struck me was working from home. Right, you've got areas of the city that when the census was done, which is in twenty twenty one. You had 52% of Chalton residents, for example, working from home. Fewer than 20% of people in places like Rochdale and Oldham, um, in, in some bits of Rochdale and Oldham, working from home. You know, few, you know, r- around that proportion in Harper Hay, working from home. So it shows just like, I think it shows something we knew, but it shows it in really nice detail. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you're a Mill member, go into that Tuesday edition because there's some nice detail about just like the trends that we always talk about as kind of, national trends or citywide trends, you know, they're actually very neighborhood specific. So that was one thing he pulled out. Another thing was like huge differences in tenure, right? It's kind of nerdy, but like where homeowners are, where homeowners with mortgages are, where um, renters are. So you've got 79% of residents in Salford Keys are renters, right? 92% of residents in places like West Bramall, Stockport, you know, that, that neck of the woods are, um, are homeowners. So it shows the point he was making was when there's a big increase in rents across the city, it hits some areas much or some types of people in different areas much harder than other areas. Like it's 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 very um correlated by neighborhood and the, the these kind of things. I mean 79% of um people in Salford Keys renters, that's also super interesting, right? Because it indicates that you're going to get much more churn, much more um, people coming in and out, transient neighborhoods, you're not going to get so many people sticking around and maybe 
putting down roots and making friends and that kind of thing. So I think it, it, it's maybe a topic for another episode. But I think if you go and read what um, James wrote in that Tuesday edition of The Mill, you'd see some interesting like starting points for conversations around one that, what, what the census data shows us. Interesting. And intrinsically linked to the first story that as well, isn't it? Um, for sure. Uh, manchestermill.co.uk where you read that as well and uh, okay we've been following the fortunes of factory international haven't we that sort of big blob uh on the on the outskirts of manchester city center as you come down regent road you can't miss that huge construct um we've had lots of insight haven't we Yoshi, over the last couple of weeks and months about what it's going to look like and we've got some more because it's had um a, 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 an alcohol license given to it which has raised a few eyebrows <laughs> is it a nightclub? That's the question. Is it a super club? Um, it's probably not, but they've got an alcohol license now, or they're, they're getting an alcohol license um, that will be allow them uh, to be open 24 hours a day and sell alcohol until 4am every night. Um, and that means that, um, you know, you, there are obviously complaints about that being excessive and noise and that kind of thing. A representative from uh, from from Factory International says they're definitely not becoming a nightclub. Um, and at a, a recent licensing hearing, they they sort of assured people that you know this isn't that that's not the route they're going down. But um, you know, as Jack said in our <laughs> briefing this week, they can play live music, stay open all night, and serve alcohol till four a.m. So it <laughs> certainly gives them a, <laughs> gives them leeway to to go more in that direction. It's I think the fascinating thing about Factory International is like what the hell is it actually going to be? Like it's not concert hall only it's not a kind of event space only or an art gallery it's not a theater it's not an opera house it's going to have like massive productions by like big name directors um it's going to have concerts it's going to have gigs um it looks to me pretty hideous so far like you know it's 200 million pounds or whatever it's being spent on it double what it was supposed to be spent on it huge amount of taxpayer money national local council money i think it looks uh, pretty dreadful but you know that's not the main thing i think the main thing and also that's completely subjective i think the main thing is like how good is the team behind it and are they going to be able to justify this enormous space one of the biggest sort of um, performance spaces in europe um and you know what exactly are they going to be doing i guess the licensing thing is a subplot to that but the big thing is like we just want to see what's going to go into it and we're going to have to wait a few more months for that yeah, quite. Okay, another story we will follow closely for you. A couple of quick hits before we go, Yoshi. And there's um, uh, speaking about the sort of shifting nature of Greater Manchester's towns, uh, the the places for everyone scheme initiative, you know, whatever plan as it were, uh, strategy uh, was up for debate last week. We were talking about that, and we've had a bit of an update from Barry and how they might feel about it. Yeah, so last week we did a Monday briefing, which basically told readers that there is pressure on a couple of councils um, to withdraw from Places for Everyone, which to remind listeners, Places for Everyone is this massive document. It used to be called the Greater Manchester Spatial Framework, but then Stockport pulled out. So then they kind of rebranded it and changed it a bit. It's been in the works for years. You're talking about half a decade. And it is the big plan for where houses are going to be built, where factories can be built, where warehousing is going to be built. It's supposed to coordinate Greater Manchester properly. So we've got the public transport going to the right places. We've got lots of homes around the places where the Metrolink is going to go, where the buses are going to go. It's supposed to be this epic um, initiative of knitting Greater Manchester together because the whole point of having a Greater Manchester mayor and powers for Greater Manchester rather than just for the councils is that you can coordinate, right? You can you can pull things together. But one of the things, one of the kind of 
forces that was allowing this plan to get through these councils, because they all have to had to agree it, is that the government said you have to build this many homes, right? There were these the obligatory house building targets. What the government's now said, they've completely U-turned, or you know, backbench, you know, Tory pressure, usual sort of thing in in the House of Commons, is that the, the house building targets are now going to be sort of targets, right? Rather than, uh, they're not going to be mandatory. It's like, we would like you to build this many houses, but the current proposal, and it hasn't gone into law yet, but it currently looks like they're not, councils won't have to build. That suddenly means it's a lot harder for Berry Council or Oldham Council to say to the voters, we are going to release all this land from the green belt because we have to build this many homes. And, and, and we're, you know, that was how this Places for Everything plan came together. All the, all the councils agreed where they're going to put different homes. It was very controversial. Lots of green belt land had to come out and be used for it. And I'm not saying it's about to collapse. You, got, you spoke to Jack about this last week. It, 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 it's with the planning inspector. The councils involved, the nine councils minus Stockport, have agreed to it. It's just that we've got these local elections coming up. And now you've got these conservative councillors in Bury saying, hang on. Um, you know why do we have to? Why do we have to be part of this plan? Why do we have to release greenbelt land? You know, if if the, the government's no, no longer forcing us to, and that would be a huge threat to places for everyone, right? Because if if, if Barry pulled out or Oldham mm. pulled out or whatever, that mm. that that really would signal Greater Manchester can't get its act together and do this thing together. So there's stuff going on in Barry. All people in Oldham insist there's no issue there, but like Oldham's got all out elections coming up in. In May, and there's a plenty of sort of conservative voices and independent voices there who are like very, very big on the green belt stuff. So it's it's another one where, um, yeah, we always say like a story to watch, but like we do cover it sort of week in week out at the moment, and like it's 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 boring, I think, actually as a story, but it's important. So um, mm. uh, we will we will keep on banging on about it. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, quite right. Um, okay, um, uh, uh, were you at the Manchester Derby at the weekend, Yoshi? Did you make? No, it to I wasn't. Derby? No one offered me a ticket, which is a disgrace. Ugh. Terrible. Yeah. Uh, I guess you saw it though. And yeah, yeah. Rashford was offside, right? Can we just establish that? Um, I mean, Rashford was offside, but 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 was he influencing the play? Oh, yeah, play. <laughs> oh, oh, he did. No, I'd be I'd be absolutely fuming if that goal was given against United. But I'm delighted that delighted that it that it, that it was given. Um, okay, things are looking up a little bit for United on the pitch um, and potentially and potentially off the pitch as well. Uh, another really this is a very big significant story for the city this week. Uh, Yoshi, uh, as we understood it, the Gla- the Glazers have effectively put Manchester United up for sale, or at least have. Um, uh, have sort of uh, put the, the have, have signaled that they want some other investment, some outside investment. And Sir Jim Ratcliffe's name is being talked about in Manchester this week. Yeah, so Sir Jim Ratcliffe, um, who is one of the richest men in the country, um, his chemicals, petrochemicals company Ineos, is just an, an absolutely enormous firm. He or they, I'm a bit unclear about this. The reports kind of were saying both that either he is an individual or Ineos as a firm have entered the bidding process to buy Manchester United. Now, I think that the, the the company he owns, Ineos, they have a sporting division that owns other football clubs. So I think it's probably the firm that's involved. That, but that's what I took from the reporting on the Telegraph and the Athletic. Um, he actually tried to buy Chelsea, which is a bit weird. He's been watching Chelsea, apparently, since he's been living in London, but he grew up in Manchester and he's, a, he's apparently a United fan. Um, so he's apparently one of the bidders. There'll be other bidders. Presumably there'll be... Um, either Saudi or other Gulf state bidders as well. But it would be kind of nice if a local owner took charge. He probably won't be the richest person bidding, and he didn't get the the Chelsea um, the Chelsea ownership. Um, he, he lost that bidding race, so maybe he'll lose this one. But it'd be I think a lot of fans would welcome having 
someone who isn't sort of deeply morally compromised by human rights abuses in the Gulf or deeply morally compromises by stolen assets in Russia taking over. I mean, I don't know a huge amount about Sir Jim Ratcliffe, but um, it's a slightly more conventional business owner um, okay. taking over if he does take over. It doesn't feel like too much to ask, does it? That you know, the, the person adheres to some basic human rights. Uh, so that is, I think, something that we should probably uh, celebrate. Um, uh, okay, and let's finally talk about gauging up uh, Yoshi, which uh, you probably won't hear on the lips of <laughs> government ministers on the media rounds. But they've been advised to use that terminology by Number 10 Downing Street in a place of levelling up Yoshi. What on earth is this? Daryl, you've got to tell me, because you do these uh, political shows and have all the politicians and the political journalists on. I've got no idea. Is, is this that they, they think levelling up is a word that people haven't really connected with and they're trying to rebrand it? Is that what this is about? Effectively, yes. I think basically Number 10 have um, have banned the use of the term levelling up, or at least they've discouraged, shall we say, the use of the term levelling up um, on, on the basis, I think... The Times are reporting today that basically uh, nobody knows what it means. It just doesn't doesn't mean anything to anybody. Right. Uh, you know, in, is in. <laughs> should, should we stop? Should we stop banging on about it on our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I think it's a direct call to us uh, <laughs> to start talking about leveling up. But they've asked they've asked uh, um, uh, government ministers to use the term "gauging up," which. Um, means even less, I think, uh, than levelling up. However, there is still a levelling up secretary and there is still a levelling up department and there is still a levelling up thing happening because the, the, the rounds for the latest, the next round of funding opens this week, doesn't it? So is it happening? Isn't it happening? What is it? What isn't it? Is it not? Is still a big question. Nice. Yeah, got it. Well, you've mm. filled in the story instead of me. Can we end on my favourite topic or do we not have time? Oh, always got time for your favourite topic. Which one will it be? Piccadilly Gardens? ENO? Yeah, yeah stop. Ah, uh, Gardens. Piccadilly Gardens. So that has been re-turfed this week. So there have been tweets of, um, I guess, council staff putting new turf. Because as you, I think you discussed last week on the podcast with um, with Jack, it was it looked like an absolute war zone after all the Christmas market stuff. Like completely awful um it was just complete muddy it was it was just muddy everywhere wasn't it um and now they've put new turf um out to to, to i guess to to so it looks much nicer and and that kind of thing but like i don't know i don't want to sort of whinge about piccadilly gardens all the time but like they surely sure? <laughs> well actually i do it, it's it, like the re-turfing it, it seems a bit bizarre that you treat one of your central squares so badly, like turning it over to a commercial use at Christmas, that you have to re-turf it. Like, come on, like that must be that must be really expensive. Um, you know, probably not amazing for the environment. Like, you, that I don't know. That's that that seems a bit mad to me. I still think the biggest issue is that they covered half of it with this events platform so long. But I think it's interesting. Actually, I'm not saying I'm like being vindicated and whatever. And I definitely wasn't the first person to say this, but I'm now notice it's a lot more common for people to tweet and say, what on earth is going on in Piccadilly Gardens? Like, I think the the, the fact that it became so muddy after the Christmas um, market stuff has really like just, you know, um, solidified people in thinking what on earth is going on with it. And like, um, I don't know. I don't. I don't think you should have Christmas markets all over a green space. Obviously, I don't think you should have events platforms all over a green space. I think that's also obvious. I think that. Um, I think the thinking around how we use this 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 public square should be um, should be completely changed up and and, and refreshed because um, people like that. You know, people like this space. There's a lot of improvement. Clearly, they're doing this big redevelopment soon, but. Um, 
I'm, I guess I'll finish off by saying there's a bit of a rambling rant. I don't even know what I'm saying here, but I'll finish off by saying I'm glad there's a lot of public awareness now about this and that people are really saying, hang on, what the hell is going on here? And I hope that means that when the, the council um, does its redevelopment stuff, that it really listens to people and it really listens to what people want and it doesn't turn it into a thing, a space that companies can use for this and markets can use for that and some random trader selling some you know sticks of you know whitby rock or whatever um you know whatever you know i i i I think it i think it i think it needs to be led by what not what i think obviously not just what mill readers think but i think what the general public thinks i hope there's a genuine listening to people and making it a public place again rather than a place that's constantly turned over to these mad uses Okay, I think what you are saying there, Yoshi, is that you've been vindicated. Uh, and, and you're okay <laughs> to say that. You, I think you're well within your rights to say that. I think you probably have. Um, okay, uh, before we go this week, we always like to give you something to do in and around Greater Manchester and take you into the Mill Newsroom as well to find out what's coming up on the horizon. So what are you working on this week, Yoshi? What's going on? Yeah, it's actually a hectic uh, hectic week in the newsroom because we've got sort of lots of... We, we commissioned a bunch of interesting freelance writers and stuff. Their pieces have started to come in. Um, we've got interesting stuff about why councils are buying up shopping centres, interesting stuff about like uh, the idea of townships in Manchester returning, which is a bit vague, but I'll, um, I'll put more meat in the bone maybe next week. Um, we've got a great piece coming out about a, a star musician um, who turned up in Manchester and, and, and things didn't quite work out, which is going to be our weekend read. Um, so... It feels like, yeah, it feels like the commissioning we did earlier in the year is like really like coming in now. Um, Jack and Molly are working on really interesting stuff. Um, so I hope that this weekend's read is going to be really good. Plus, I think the BBC are coming to interview us um, about, about a little segment that they want to do on Radio 4 about the mill. So there's, yeah, there's tons going on. Very nice. Excellent. Okay, manchestermill.co.uk is where you go to subscribe to get all that in your inbox. And what should we be doing around Greater Manchester this weekend? Yoshi, what's, uh, what's on your radar? Well, very thematically linked to stuff we've been talking about at the top of the podcast. There's an exhibition opening at home this weekend by the artist Tara Collette. Um, and it's a brand new exhibition that explores the impact of gentrification. And I'm reading now from the from the description. And the lack of affordable housing in our city, which has seen many local communities priced out of the city centre and neighbouring areas. So that'll be interesting. Um, in- interesting to see how they handle that topic. Um, The exhibition brings together a series of politically charged banners, I'm reading again from the description, alongside a series of photographs that highlight the rapid developments in our city. So it feels very kind of appropriate. Um, It's part of the Push Festival, uh, which is a four-week annual celebration of Northwest creative talent. I've never been, but I'll definitely be going. And the exhibition is open from Saturday, and there's a preview um, on Friday, which is tomorrow, if you're listening to this podcast, the moment it comes out, which obviously you all are. Excellent. Good stuff. All right. My nod for the week ahead is I've got two, actually, if, you, if you'll allow. There is a, a beer festival happening at Grub, uh, Red Bank, up by the sort of Green Quarter, which is a lovely little place. I used to live around there. It's a really nice little place, kind of hidden away just outside the city centre. And they've got loads of great uh, beers from uh, Manchester Union Lager, which is brewed just around the corner from where I live right now in Monton, and Rivington Brewing Company as well, which is brewed around the corner from where I used to live uh, in Horwich in Bolton. So loads of good beer on offer there. My main nod, though, for the Chinese New Year, uh, this weekend in and around Manchester it's always an absolute corker of a, of a festive um, uh, a festivity a fe- you know festive occasion uh, in the city centre Chinese New Year there's obviously the Dragon Parade which will be happening on Sunday and loads of other bits and bobs Manchester Art Gallery you've got uh, some lovely exhibitions to chime with uh, the New Year as well so loads and loads and loads going on around the city centre for the Chinese New Year as well if that's something you are celebrating enjoy 
Uh, okay, don't forget to uh, subscribe to The Mill to get more brilliant quality journalism, some really important stuff coming up on the horizon. And of course, you can read Yoshi's piece and the fallout. Manchestermill.co.uk is where you go for that. Like and subscribe to this podcast as well. So you'll be in your podcast feed every Thursday. For now, Yoshi, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>